This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. Good Thursday evening. My name is Howie Silberger. And this is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. TrueTalkRadio.com is the site of the Howie Silberger Show. You could feel free to join me uh, on the site where you could uh, find out everything you need to know about the True Talk Radio Network. You could download the True Talk Radio Network app from the App Store, either the Apple App Store or the iPhone App Store, uh, the iPhone App Store or the Android App Store. And of course, you could call in. The show is live on Thursday evening. As it is Monday to Thursday, uh, number to call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. We uh, we still haven't resolved that little audio problem we're having. Uh, we're working on it, and so um, just bear with us. It'll it'll eventually get solved. So earlier in the week, there was a school shooting. A a deranged eighteen year old walked into a school, an elementary school barricaded himself in a grade four class at the class filled with 10 year olds and opened fire on them, killing them all. Well, 19 of them and two adults. It's horrific when you think about it. It's absolutely a horrific thing when a monster could walk into a school, into an elementary school, in any school, and shoot children, defenseless little kids. It's totally deranged. And we can't we can't blame it on on, on on various things. I mean, I've been hearing all day it's all about uh, gun control. Gun control doesn't work. The gunman who walked into this elementary school and killed 19 children and two adults violated about 15 gun violations. They had about 15 gun violations in that act. He broke the law about 15 times. So if you think that another law banning people from getting guns is going to stop somebody hell-bent on killing people, from actually murdering people, well, then, you, then you're, you're deranged too. It's not going to work. The solution to gun, the gun problem, the solution to the, well, not even the gun problem, the solution to the school shooting problem is twofold. The first is we have to make schools less vulnerable. We have to get armed guards into schools. We have to get people into schools who could defend the children. More guns in school is probably the solution when people with guns are coming in to murder kids. Good people with guns who could shoot bad people with guns is probably the solution. But aside from that, we have to look at the mental health of our teenagers. We have to look at the, the status of the mental health of the kids in our communities. And every community is responsible for this, no matter what community you're part of. You have to look at your kids. You have to get the ones who, uh, who, are, who are a little off evaluated and checked and make sure that they don't go off the deep end and walk into a school and kill people. It is our responsibility to ensure that everybody in our community is healthy and happy and, and, and normal, not psychotic and death loving. We got to do this. So banning guns isn't going to solve the problem. 
checking the mental health of the people around us might help mitigate the problem. But unfortunately, as every, every expert in the field has said, if somebody wants to go and kill a lot of people, it is extremely difficult to stop them. Quite scary, if you ask me. Texas officials said on Thursday that the school shooter was inside the school, the elementary school in Texas, for one hour before ta- being taken down by a U.S. Border Patrol tactical squad. He was in the school for one hour. Victor Escalon, the Texas Department of Public Safety, the regional director for South Texas, said on Thursday that the shooter was inside for one hour before being shot and killed. He killed in that hour 19 students and two teachers during the shooting. Escalon said that the officers who first arrived on the scene four minutes after the guy went into the building did not make entry initially because of gunfire they were receiving. Approximately an hour later, U.S. Border Patrol tactical teams arrived, so the SWAT team came an hour later. They made entry and shot and killed the suspect. The police showed up. So let's understand what this means. This means that armed police officers trained to protect civilians, innocent civilians, and no one gets more innocent than a a group of grade four students, a group of 10-year-olds sitting in a classroom. No one's more innocent than that. A group of armed police officers showed up and did nothing for an hour while a man with a gun was in the school shooting children. Let that sink in for a second. Think about that for a second. A group of armed adults were standing outside and did nothing while 19 10-year-olds were being murdered. The Texas Department of Public Safety also said that the shooter entered the school undisrupted without being confronted by a school district police officer after crashing his vehicle and also entered through a door that appeared to have been unlocked. So they didn't have a uh, they didn't have a cop on campus, but the police were very quick to arrive. Four minutes after the man started shooting, he started shooting outside the school before he even got into the school. He was shot. He he was uh, he was he shot at people who were at a funeral parlor across the street from the school who dialed nine one one, which is the appropriate thing to do. The police arrived within four minutes. The guy was in the school already. Four minutes later, he was in the school already. The police arrived. Instead of storming the building, they stood outside for an hour and allowed him to kill 19 people. It's horrific. It's horrifying. So, what happened outside when the parents showed up? Because as word got out that the there was a shooter in the school. Parents came running to the school to try to collect their kids, to try to find their kids, and saw the police standing around waiting. So there's a video that's circulating. I'm not going to show it, but there is a video that's circulating where the police are tackling a parent outside the school who is trying to run into the school. And the parent was screaming, if you're not going to do anything to save my kid, I'm going in to save my kid. And he went running towards the school and he was tackled and tasered by the police. Another woman 
was handcuffed by the police as she tried to get over through the police barriers to save her kid from being shot. She was handcuffed. She was a criminal, apparently. The guy with the gun inside the school shooting little kids wasn't a criminal. The mother trying to save her child was a criminal. Arrested, handcuffed. Go in there, go in there, one woman yelled at police officers, according to an eyewitness standing outside. Javier Cazares went to the school after learning of the shooting since his daughter attended the school there and said that police officers were staying outside. His daughter, Jacqueline, was murdered in the shooting. Cazares suggested at one point that a group of people, normal civilians, parents standing outside the school, should rush in because the cops aren't doing anything like they're supposed to do. More could have been done. They were unprepared, he said. Wow. Imagine being a parent. God forbid, being a parent, standing outside a school where a shooter is inside the school and you're hearing the gunshots that are killing your children and you're watching the police stand there and do nothing. Imagine being that parent. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, as, as a human being, even I wasn't a parent and I was standing there, there, there wouldn't be much that would stop me from running into that building to try to save kids if I saw the police weren't doing anything. Those parents who were standing outside should have stormed the police and stormed inside. Okay, one or two might have been shot. That's, that's, that's for sure, 100%. Somebody would have been hurt. But how many kids could they have saved if they would have stormed into the building three or four minutes after the shooter started shooting? It's horrific. CBS News talked to a child that was in the school. It was in the classroom when this was happening. A fourth grade student who survived Tuesday's mass, mass murder at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, said the gunman came into the room and told the children, it's time to die. The survivor who spoke with a CBS affiliate, Ken's TV, K-E-N-S, said he was in a room that shared a door at the classroom where the gunman first barricaded himself in during the shooting. It was at that point that uh, Lieutenant Christopher Olivier of the Texas Department of Public Safety told CBS News that he started shooting children and teachers that were inside. Here's the quote from the boy. He came in, he crouched down a little bit, and he said, it's time to die. That's what the boy said. When he and the other students in the adjoining classroom heard shots being fired, his friends, his classmates being killed, the boy said that he and friends that were in the room, they decided to hide. He and four others hid under a table that was covered in a tablecloth. I was hiding hard, the boy said, and I was telling my friend not to talk because he was going to hear us. Soon after, police arrived at the scene. Now, an officer yelled into the classroom. He yelled to the kids. He screamed at the kids and he said, yell if you need help, the boy recried, recalled. So police officer yelled, said, I'm a police officer. Yell if you need help. One of the persons in my class said, help. The shooter overheard and he came in and he shot her. 
He said the cop barged into that classroom, the guy shot at the cop, and the cop started shooting. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said that three officers were injured during the shooting, but that all are in good condition. Too bad we can't say the same thing about these students that the police abandoned in the classroom. When the gunfire stopped, the fourth grader said that he left his hiding spot along with his friend. He said he knew it was safe to do so because he saw the officer's armor and shield. And while it was the officers who stopped the massacre, the boy says it was his teacher, Irma Garcia and Eva Morales, who saved his and other kids' lives. They were nice teachers, he said. They were in front of my classroom to help, to save them. That sentiment was shared by the fourth grade teacher, Irma Garcia's nephew, John Martinez. Garcia had four children. She sacrificed herself protecting the kids in her classroom, Martinez tweeted. Irma Garcia is her name, and she died a hero. Morales was 44 years old. She was also a fourth grade teacher who had been an educator for 17 years. In a, in a Twitter post, her daughter Adeline wrote that her mom selflessly jumped in front of her and, and in front of her students, selflessly jumped in front of her students to save their lives. My beautiful mom, thank you for the funniest memories. Thank you for the best times of my life. Thank you for being my best friend, she said. You are so known by many now, and I'm so happy that people know your name and that your beautiful face of yours, and they know what a hero looks like. These two teachers, uh, while their actions were heroic, uh, I, I could almost guarantee, as a person who works in a school, I could almost guarantee that any teacher working in an elementary school would have jumped in front of that shooter too to protect their kids. I could guarantee any teacher working in any school would have jumped in front of that shooter to protect their kids. Teachers are not trained to be human shields. Teachers are not trained to step in front of gunmen. But teachers are trained to love their students. And much like any parent would step in front of a gunman if, if, if a gunman was pointing a gun at their child, a teacher would do the exact same thing. And these two teachers sacrificed their lives to try to protect as many kids as possible. And we see that over and over again in, in every school shooting, that teachers are killed because they're stepping in front of the gunmen to protect their kids. Yet teachers are some of the most underpaid people in the world. It's one of the most underpaid professions uh, around. Teachers are, are, are screamed at by parents. They're disregarded as, uh, as losers. They're looked down upon. They're not considered essential workers when they're forced to go to schools and work in schools with children during pandemics. Teachers are the most abused people when it comes to professionals in the world. And yet, they're probably the only ones who would step in front of a bullet to save their charges. Put their lives on the line. The police sure the heck didn't in Texas. They waited outside because the gunman was shooting at them. He's a gunman. What do you think he was going to do? Stand there and, and raise his hands? He came to kill people. If we learned anything from the Columbine Massacre where the police stood outside and waited for the SWAT team to show up is that you don't wait outside for the SWAT team to show up. In 1999, Columbine Massacre, two students walked into Columbine High School and shot a whole lot of people while the police stood outside and waited. After the Columbine Massacre, the, there was a huge investigation and it was decided after that that 
if there is a school shooting, at least in Colorado, that the police go in first and ask questions later. That first police on the scenes are expected to walk into the school and to engage the gunman. That's their job. Protect. Protect. Protect the innocent. Not stand outside and listen to gunshots as little children are dying. Now, tragedy begets tragedy. It's very unfortunate that uh, this happens a lot too. The husband of one of the teachers killed in this attack died of a heart attack today. Irma Garcia's husband, she was killed trying to save her charges, trying to save her children, trying to save her students. Her husband had a heart attack and died too, leaving four children orphans. It's horrific. And the aftermath is horrific. And, and, and who do we blame? We always have to point blame. We always have to say, who do we blame for something like this? Where do we go with, with blame? Where do we go? How, how, do we, how do we process this? As human beings, we try to process things. And, and the way we try to process them is through appointing blame to something. So something happens, we have to know who is responsible. Think about it in your life. Somebody dies, somebody gets, somebody dies, and, and the first question is, how did he die, right? Because so, you, you could process the fact that the person's dead and that you're never going to see this person again. But, but in, order to, in order for closure, in order for you to be able to, 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 to move on, to grieve and move on, knowing how the person died somehow brings comfort to human beings. So, so, so it helps you grieve. It helps you, it helps you, it helps you um, uh, connect with the family. It, it, there's a lot of advantages to knowing how people die. It's very uncomfortable and very unfortunate that this is human nature. But, but think about your own self and, and how you react when... When, when, when somebody close to you dies, how often do you ask what happened? It's human curiosity. In uh, this case here, we know how everybody died. And it's unacceptable. And everybody should be outraged. Anybody with children, anybody with, with some semblance of morality should be outraged. We trust that our police officers will come and protect us when, when, when things go wrong. We trust that we, will be, that we will be safe. And we trust that we bring our children to school. And we give our children for a full day to people who are, who are checked by the police to make sure that, they, they, that they're, not, they're not psycho, who are trained to educate and to, 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 to handle our children. When we bring our children to school, we fully expect to be able to see them at the end of the day. We fully expect for them to come home. And when they don't come home, and when they get killed, it makes us lose a little bit of faith in the system. It makes us, it makes us start to think twice about living our lives freely and happily. It makes parents stop allowing their children to play outside. When I was a kid, that's where we played. We played outside. We rode our bikes. We played on the streets. We knew it was time to go home when the streetlights came on. That's what happened when I was a kid. You hardly see kids playing on the street anymore. 
And when they are playing on the street, there's usually four or five adults standing around. Two kids playing, five adults standing around. Because the world we live in has gone nuts. We, we, we've, we live in a crazy, mixed up, shook up world. How did it get this way? How did we allow the world to get this way? Well, when we started getting rid of moral values, family structures, religion, as much as these words have become bad words in society, as much as as the woke left wants to tell you that people who believe in a God, people who believe in family structures, in traditional family structures, uh, a father or mother, people who believe in this are, are archaic dinosaurs. This is what they tell you. The truth of the matter is, at least in my humble opinion, that without these structures, without the guidelines, the world is chaotic. The only thing that keeps us from killing each other is the fact that we have we have we have a we have a a, a framework that tells us we can't the Ten Commandments, the basis of all Western laws and Eastern laws too, because laws in the Middle East and laws in the, in, in in the Arab world are all based on the same thing, the morality of the Bible, the morality of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments said you shouldn't kill. That's why we don't kill. When we negate the Ten Commandments, when we negate religion and say religion's not important, when we say God isn't important, when we say family values that, that it's okay to raise kids with, uh, with no parents or one parent or six parents or 22 parents, and that, that's, that's somehow valuable, and, you know, we are, we are diluting society and the morality of society. Then we allow after after we take away the structure of morality where where we value life and we we and we and we try to maintain life and preserve life as much as possible you take away that value and then you fill screens up whether it be television screens computer screens tablet screens or movie theater screens with people indiscriminately killing each other with no remorse and no consequence then we're building a time bomb for mentally disturbed people. We're building a time bomb. How many times have you watched a movie, an action flick, and you've seen hundreds of people die in the action flick? Explosions, cars blowing up, people being shot, people dying right and left. Everybody's dying. Have you ever stopped to think that each one of these people killed in a movie has family, wife, children. No matter how evil they're depicted in the movie. Have you ever thought about their families? Now, I know these are fictional characters and they don't really have families. But, but conceptually, have you ever thought about the families and the ripple effect of these people being killed in this movie? If all these families actually existed, if all these people actually existed and their families existed, how much damage, how many damaged children would there be in the world? Think about it for a second, because I know we never analyze, we never analyze movies and television like this. They're entertainment, and we just tend, we just tend to consider them entertainment. But if you are, if you are less than, um, less than a normal person, less than a rational person, 
and you see all these murders and you see all this happening and nobody ever pays the price for the murder. There's never any consequence for the actions that you did. Why would you not go out and do that if that's the way you were inclined? Well, if nobody's going to come after me, if nothing's going to happen, and the worst thing that happens is I die too. So what? Everybody dies. Then how, how do you stop something like that? We've created the situation. We've created the society that allows for this kind of violence. And then every time it happens, every single time it happens, we blame it on gun culture. You blame it on uh, on the proliferation of guns, the, the the existence of AR-15s, the existence of, uh, of 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 some kind of semi-automatic rifle. And and it's great to point the blame at guns, and it's the NRA's fault, and the NRA we have to fight the gun lobby, as the president said the other night. But what's there to fight? The NRA went bankrupt last year. Who's to fight? Nobody's supporting them. So so it's time to stop with the with the with the memes and the and and the and and the crazy nineteen uh, eighties catchphrases. And it's time it's time to start looking at reality. The reality is there are more guns in the United States than there are people. There have always been more guns in the United States than there are people. The reality is that the majority of people who own guns in the United States don't walk into schools and shoot people. It's a rarity. It doesn't happen very often. Although it's happened over three hundred times since January. But even so, even through over 300 times since January, uh, it sounds like a lot, but in reality, when you think about how many schools there are in, in the United States, it, it is a, a small percentage of schools, a tiny, minuscule percentage of schools that have been attacked. But it doesn't matter. You know, I don't want to play the numbers game because the numbers game is irrelevant. One school is too many. One is too many in this case. One child being shot in school is too many kids being shot in school. It's totally, totally unacceptable. So who do you hold accountable? Do you hold your politicians accountable? Do you hold your local school boards accountable? Do you hold the principals of the school accountable? I don't know who to hold accountable. I'm sure the principals and the staff in the school want to keep the school as safe as possible and work hard to keep the school as safe as possible. I could guarantee that as a principal of a school, I could guarantee that I work extremely hard to try to uh, maximize the security in my school, to make sure that the, my children, the children in my school, who I feel personally responsible for, are safe every single day. I work extremely hard to try to, 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 to maximize the security of our school to sensitize the teachers, to sensitize the students, to, to put in protocols that, that will keep us all safe. It, it's unfortunate that this is the work that we have to do instead of worrying about how we're going to educate the children, how to make classes more interesting, more fun, and how to present material that, that, is, uh, that is more engaging, that we have to have meeting after meeting about security. It's a sign of the times of the world we live in. Now, is it going to turn around? It has to turn around. We've flat-bottomed. Society has flat-bottomed. We've hit the gutter. We've hit the bottom of the gutter. You can't get a more immoral, debaucherous society than the society we live in right now. Now, who else can we blame? Well, if we want to play the blame game, there's plenty of people we could blame for, for this kind of thing. We could blame social media 
for the isolation that people are in, which which leads to some of this mental illness. We could blame, we could blame the police departments, particularly the police departments who don't react when shootings happen, who want to wait for the SWAT team, and allow little kids to be killed while they're waiting. We could blame them, but mark my words that, that there's nothing that's going to happen to that police department. There'll be an investigation. They'll find the police were bad. The police chief will be fired or he will resign in disgrace. A new police chief will be appointed and life will go on in the town. At least for the people who weren't killed in that school while the police did nothing, life will go on. At least for the families where the father didn't have a heart attack and die because the mother was killed in a school shooting, life will go on. And for the rest of us, the media will move on to the next massacre, the next calamity, the next problem. And this will fade into the background, much like Sandy Hook, much like Columbine, much like all the other school shootings. This will disappear. The families of the kids who were killed will continue to grieve for the, for the kids who were killed. And the world will forget and move on. A couple of years ago, there was a school. Sh- there was a shooting at uh, at a high school in at a school in uh, Florida. I don't know how many people actually remember the name of the school or the name of any of the children who were in the school who were shot. Many people can name the shooter because we always glorify the shooter. I made it a point on this show and on all the shows that I talk about school shootings that I don't name the shooter. So you'll never hear me utter the person's name. Now, it's a conscious decision to do that. Many media outlets uh, name this, the shooter. I choose not to. Because I think it's important to not glorify this kind of behavior. This is not something that should be glorified. And the shooter's name should not live in infamy. In fact, we should, it should be blotted out. We should, we should not even remember the name. We shouldn't, we shouldn't even consider the person's name or, or, or anything about his fa- family or his life. I don't care. I don't care about his family. I don't care about his life. I don't care what his problems were. I care that he walked into a building and decided to kill people. That's what I care about. You know, his motivation for doing it, maybe it's important to know his motivation to stop the next person. But in, in some cases, the motivation is just, I'm a whack job. That's the motivation. There's nothing more to it. And in the last, uh, well, in the last few shootings in high schools, in schools in the States, there were plenty of warning signs. In fact, just a week before the school shooting, there was a shooting in a mall. Um, Another 18-year-old went into a mall and shot up a, a shopping mall, killing a bunch of people. And we, we know from the investigation into that shooting that everybody knew that this guy was off the edge. Everybody knew this guy was sitting on the, uh, uh, on the, on basically on the trigger and nobody did anything to stop him. There was another shooting. Uh, a, a shooter walked into a high school and went into the cafeteria and shot four boys sitting at a table. That shooter posted on the internet for two weeks that he was going to shoot his, there was going to be a shooting in his school. And everybody laughed, ha, ha, ha. Two weeks. 
He was warning everybody for two weeks. That's a call for help. Two weeks he's warning everybody. And nobody thought that maybe he was serious. Nobody thought to mention it, to call the police, to call the school, to, to tell anybody. This is absolutely, absolutely essential that if you think that somebody's dangerous, you call the police. Give me a call if you want to get in on the conversation. one 669 1292 I'll pay for the call. If you dial the number, I'll pay for the call. one 669 1292 All right, so this question that's posed uh, on Facebook. Why are Canada and Europe's school shooting numbers per thousand population so much lower than the states? Well, it's, it's a good question, and the, uh, the answer to that question probably is that, uh, that Canada... Uh, has uh, has has 40 million people living in Canada and the states has 350 million people living there. So the number of people who are crazy in Canada are, are a lot less than the number of people who are crazy in the United States. Uh, same thing with Europe. Uh, there's more people living in, in the states than in most countries in Europe. So I, I think that I think it's a numbers game really. It's a percentage game. And uh, while I don't like playing numbers when it comes to people's lives, the the I think the truth is that um, that there are numbers and percentage of populations, and the percentage of population um, that's what it is. Uh, aside from the fact that America being the vast melting pot that it is, and uh, right now the American um, immigration policy of allowing anybody and everybody without being screened into the country probably it contributes to a lot of criminals or a lot of. Uh, Violent people coming from violent places that may uh, that may contribute to the school shootings, uh, or, or or school shootings and other shootings that are happening in the states may contribute to the violence that we're seeing in the states. Um, now I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm anti-immigrant. I'm just saying that if you want immigration, that's great. More immigrants, the better. Makes the country a lot stronger. Makes the country a lot better. But they should be screened and they should be vetted and they should be uh, they should go through some kind of a process. The border should not just be open to anybody who walks in. Because you never know who's coming through the door. So if we screened, if we screened these people and we screened them for mental health and a bunch of other things, uh, some of these violent people might be caught uh, before they get into the country, and some of these tragedies might be averted. I'm not saying all the tragedies, but some of the tragedies might be averted. Uh, as for the homegrown Americans, once again, we've we've gotten rid of morality, we've gotten rid of uh, uh, moral values and family structures. We've uh, we we've allowed we've allowed uh, inner cities. To be uh, to be infected, to be to be festering with drugs and alcohol and uh, and and all sorts of other vices, which add to the problem. And we've glorified violence, which also adds to the problem. So, in my opinion, that's that's really where we stand. That's where that's where the problem is in America. That uh, that the, glorif- the glorification of violence, the lack of standards when it comes to immigration. And the breakdown of moral values and family values has added to the uh, has added to the problem, contributed to the problem, and allowed America to become the number one country in the world where uh, school shootings are prevalent. Sure, they happen elsewhere, but very rarely in the states. They happen three hundred twenty times since January. It's kind of scary, if you ask me. 
1-877-669-1292 is the number to call. Or you could uh, just, if you're watching on Facebook you could just or, or YouTube, you could just type into uh, the chat box and I'll see it. It'll pop up my screen. Uh, if you if you want to comment on the uh, if you want to comment on the uh, on the show, uh, if you're too shy to call in or you just don't feel like it, you could always chat. Uh, just put your comment into a chat box and I will be able to see it. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I prefer to talk to people, as this is a talk show. I prefer to talk to people, but I understand we are in the twenty first century and talking is sometimes not what people want to do. Uh, you um, you are listening to the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. We are streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Well, not Instagram. We're <laughs> we're live on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, on Twitch, and on Mixcloud. We are also uh, broadcasting live on the True Talk Radio Network app, which you could download from uh, your favorite app store, either the iPhone store or the uh, Android store. Uh, of course, this show. If you missed any part of the show or any of the previous episodes. You can always uh, subscribe to the podcast, and you can do that through your favorite podcasting service, um, Apple Podcasts, um, wherever wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we are um, we are on all the uh, smart devices. So if you have a, a Google or an Amazon smart device, just ask them to play the Howie Silberger Show. You can play it off Spotify. You can play it off uh, Apple Podcasts. It's readily available on all your smart devices. So you can listen to the show anytime you want, anywhere you want, in any format you want, on demand or live. We are uh, we are we're always here on the Howie Silberger Show, and we uh, we air live every day of the week, Monday to Thursday, ten to eleven p.m., right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Uh, a, another question on Facebook: How can we make the entrances to schools more secure? It's a great question, and it's a question that's been asked uh, right across the board. Um, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about uh, securing the front of the school, securing the, uh, the doors. Uh, right now, most schools, uh, public schools, private schools, most schools have a bulletproof screen on the door. So it, it's a, it's a film that goes over the doors. It's made in Israel and, uh, it, it protects the doors from bullets coming through them. So if they're glass doors, the glass is, is treated and, and protected. Uh, most of the glass in the schools are, are treated and protected. Uh, a lot of schools have security guards standing in front, and all schools are locked and, and have to be buzzed in. People have to be buzzed in at the front door. The only way to secure the front door of the schools, in my in my humble opinion, is um, we have to train our children, uh, the children in the school, not to open the door for anybody and allow the secretary to screen the people coming to the door. So ask who you are, what you're doing there. Uh install panic buttons and lockdown buttons everywhere in the school so if anyone sees anything that is uh that is uh is suspicious they could uh, they could hit a panic button which will lock down the building um put bulliards little like large rocks and large cement stones in front of school so cars can't drive through the front doors if if that's an issue because that could be an issue if the doors are at street level I'm not a security expert, but these are the things that just come to my mind right now. Um, but the best thing a school could do is to hire security experts to walk through the building and to decide where and what is, is, is a problem and then fix those problems. Now, I know a lot of schools are worried about budgets and the money that it costs to fix these kind of problems. But, but would you? what's the trade-off here? Not spending the money and leaving those vulnerabilities and if 
God forbid something happens, saying, wow, if we were to just spend $30,000, 19 kids would be alive? God forbid that something should happen like that, but if it does, is it really worth the trade-off? I don't think so. I don't I don't think it's worth the trade-off. But schools have to make their own decisions. Uh, I can't make a decision for schools and schools can't make the, you know the schools have the school boards and the school uh, boards of directors and the um, and the school boards have to make these decisions. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that all schools after this tragedy in in Texas will take a look at their facilities and and see how they can fix them. See how they can make our kids more secure. And I hate to I hate to advocate. I really hate to advocate building fortresses for our for our children. But but I don't see I don't see how we have a choice. Another message on Facebook having a terrorist driving into school has always uh, always a fear of mine. Some like um some like Hertzley are very exposed. And, and you're right. You're right Hertzley High School was very exposed and they they took action. Uh when I was working at Hertzley already they took action. And they put up um, they put up these big balls like the ones you see in front of uh, targets in the states, in front of their doors so that the uh, so that nobody could drive in. Plus, they put a whole bunch of other security features in. Um, the uh, the the idea that a, a car could drive into a school is is very frightening. And in fact, that's exactly what happened in Texas. The first thing he did was he crashed his car into the school building. Then he got out of the car and walked through the door. So, so it is extremely, extremely scary. But, the, you know, you can't protect yourself from everything. If you don't build a moat around the building, there's not much you could do uh, to protect yourself from the street. Students still have to go out and play in the schoolyard. Uh, students still have to come and go from school, go home, let your kids walk home. Uh, you, know, you can't stop life out of fear. You can't stop living. You can't stop running your school's because you're afraid of a potential attack. Once again, these kind of school attacks happen rarely. But we have to be, we have to be vigilant. And we have to do everything in our power to protect the children in our schools. But once again, we, we don't have to be paranoid about it. Haven't Federation already done security checks and written recommendations? For most schools, for Jewish schools, uh, the local federations in all cities have done uh, security checks and written recommendations. Uh, the schools are then responsible. Most of the schools are then responsible for um, implementing these security measures. Uh, some of them cost a lot of money, and some of the schools don't have those kind of budgets. And so they do the important stuff and leave some of the other stuff till later. Um, this is a, this is this is a problem. So so the security in in various schools are at different levels. Uh, I've worked in four or five schools in the city, and. Uh, and going into each of these schools, I've seen the security being from almost fortress-like to being almost nothing. So I'm hoping that uh, that that with that these children, these 19 children who died in Texas, didn't die in vain. That schools will look at this, and people running schools will look at this, and will understand that there that there's a vulnerability there, and that we must we must. Protect our kids at all costs. doesn't matter what it costs. Get the donors, get the money, borrow it if you have to. But we have to protect our children. At least that's the way I see it. one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 You could uh, call in if you want to talk to me. Uh, if you want to, you can, uh, you can just type into the chat boxes on Facebook or YouTube. 
and um, I'll be able to see the chat and I'll be able to um, I'll be able to respond to you from there. So where do we go from here? This, that's the big question. That's the question that's always asked to me. Where, where do we go from here? What do we do? How do we move forward from, from something like this? We, uh, first thing we have to do is we have to uh, thank God that it didn't happen to us. Now, I know that sounds callous and cruel, but we thank God every single day that our children are safe and that this does not happen in one of our schools, in our city, or even our country. So I thank God for that. The next thing I do, next thing I, I feel we all have to do, is we all have to hug our children and thank God they're safe. So once you finish those two things, which are the two most important things to do at this point, is thanking God and, and hugging and showing your appreciation and, and showing your children the, the, your appreciation of the children, the thing you have to do after that is you have to sit down for your children and you have to explain to your children the dangers that could be lurking in, in the hallways of their schools. Now, it's not an easy conversation, especially for younger kids. It's not an easy conversation, but I think it's a conversation that parents have to have with their kids. The th four kids that were standing in the adjacent classroom saved their own lives by jumping under a table with a tablecloth. Now, that means that uh, uh, the, the, um, the media didn't ask the kid why he thought to do that. But I am fairly sure, knowing 10-year-olds, I am fairly sure that he didn't, freeze, he didn't freeze in fear. So I'm fairly sure that he must have been spoken to by his parents and must have been told at one point or another that if something bad happens in school, this is what you have to do. Go find the nearest hiding spot. Look around, see where you could hide, and get there. It's not always the first reaction, not always the first instinct of a, of a young kid when something bad happens to run away and hide. Sometimes they freeze in terror. So for this kid to be that smart and then to tell all his friends not to talk because the bad guy could hear him, he was drilled. He was either drilled by the parents or drilled by the school. But he was drilled. They have lockdown drills and they have active shooter drills in schools. So maybe they had training these kids. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't save 19 of them. But, but perhaps they were trained. Perhaps these kids knew what to do. I don't know how much active shooter training is done in, in schools in Canada. Uh, or I have no idea how much active shooting drills are done anywhere in, uh, in Canada. But maybe it's something that has to be looked at. Maybe it's something that has to be done. Maybe that's something the Federation should be doing instead of checking windows and checking cameras. Maybe they should be giving drills and, and teaching people how to, uh, how to protect themselves in these things. It's possible. It's possible. Now, I'm not blaming Federation. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying that this is something that really should be done. And if it's being done already, and I, I'm not even aware that it's being done, but if it's being done already, then kudos to them for doing it. Another thing that should be done, and I've said this for years and years and years, is that, that um, martial arts should be taught to all children in all schools. It should be taught as part of gym class, and it should be, it should be mandatory in all schools. Martial arts. And the reason I say that is because... Sometimes a kid who knows how to defend themselves could stop somebody attacking a school. 
Sometimes. I, I can't say that you know a kid who knows how to kick could stop a guy with a machine gun. But they don't always have machine guns. And sometimes somebody who knows how to defend themselves could disarm somebody and, and stop a massacre. So I really believe that children should be taught martial arts as part of their gym class. Another message from Facebook. More resources are needed to identify and stop this from happening. There are a lot of troubled people that are being neglected and don't know where to reach out to. We need to reach out to these individuals through social media and others. Uh, I agree with you 100%. In fact, it's the first thing I said on the show. That uh, the, the, the issue here is not gun control. The issue here is mental health control. That we must look at our neighbors and our friends and our young people. We must understand that sitting and staring at a screen for 15 hours a day is not mentally healthy for anybody. And, and kids who are doing that are, are sometimes uh, sucked in by, by these channels, by these, uh, by these chat boards that, that, that encourage them to do crazy things like shooting up schools and killing people. And sometimes mental illness takes hold and we end up in situations like this. So yes, we need to identify and stop this form this from happening. I'll be right back. This is the Howie Silbinger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And we have a few minutes left to the show, so feel free to call in. one 1292 you could um, type into the chat boxes. The chat boxes are uh, are on YouTube or on Facebook. Just type into the chat box. I'll be able to see what you type. And I'll be able to respond to it. It's always much better when you call, though. I like talking to people. Uh, so that's how I feel that we have to respond to this. Uh, we have to be outraged. And we have to be insistent that things change in the schools where our kids are. We have to be insistent that we that we look at the security measures of all our public buildings, not only schools, all our public buildings, and make sure that we are secure everywhere we go. Unfortunately, we live in a world right now that we are forced to build fortresses. We are forced to build castles for ourselves. It's kind of sad when you think about it. Kind of sad that we like to we like to uh, say that we live in a free society. How free are we, really? Free means that we have the right to do what we do. We have the right to vote for our governments. And we have the right to live without fear. How free are we, really? I want to thank you all for joining me. I appreciate you uh, you tuning in. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We're heard every single night, Monday to Thursday, from 10 to 11 p.m. Please join me and tell your friends. Uh, we are, the show is replayed on the True Talk Radio Network along with a lot of other uh, great, great shows. You could get the entire calendar and the entire calendar events, the entire schedule, on uh, truetalkradio.com. And, of course, if you want to reach me, you could do so by emailing me at howie at truetalkradio.com. So until a Monday, I wish you a very, very nice weekend, and I will see you on Monday. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. <laughs>